For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, Peter, James, and John have the ultimate mountaintop experience where they see Jesus transfigured before them. So let's join Pastor Jim now with a message entitled, Lessons from the Mountaintop. Amen. Well, people have certainly come across some unexpected discoveries when they go hiking through hills and mountains. For example, how about those who discovered seashells on the top of Mount Everest, or those who discovered whale fossils in the Andes Mountains at an elevation of 4,400 feet. I wonder how those got there. That is something you definitely wouldn't expect to find at the top of a mountain. How about the group of conservationists who were clearing debris from the top of Britain's highest mountain? That was some 4,000 feet of elevation, and they stumbled across, of all things, a piano. What in the world is a piano doing at the top of a mountain? I have no idea. Or how about the couple who was hiking through their property with the family dog here in Northern California, and they stumbled across something totally unexpected, $10 million in gold coins that they found that had been buried there since the late 1800s. Definitely that was a pleasant surprise. So people, (laughs) you tell me, right? So people have come across some unexpected experiences making their ways uh, through hills and mountains, uh, but none more unforeseen than what we will see in our story today. As Peter, James, and John make their way to the top of a high mountain with our Lord Jesus, they come across something totally out of the blue, and that is this. Jesus radiating the glory of his divinity through the veil of his humanity. Now, my hope and prayer for you and I today is this, that we would remember that there's so much more to Jesus and what he has for us than we could ever imagine. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and we're going to study verses 28 through 36 this morning. About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions, oh, lost my place. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. (laughs) That's kind of funny. (laughs) While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves 
and told no one at that time what they had seen. So that's our text for this morning's Bible study. And before we make our way to the top of the mountain, I think it's important for us to get a little bit of context. One week prior to this incident, Jesus was asking the guys, who do you say that I am? I know what the culture is saying about me. I know what popular opinion is of me, that I'm just a good teacher or perhaps I'm just a prophet. But what's important to me, guys, is who do you say that I am? And so Peter pipes up and he answers the question. He says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ of God. You are the chosen one. And Jesus says, you got it. You got it, Peter, bingo, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly who I am. And from that moment on, Jesus began to teach the guys the true purpose of the Messiah, the true purpose of why he came. It was not to expel and defeat the occupying Romans. Jesus wasn't some sort of political Messiah, some sort of political savior. Rather, Jesus came to expel and defeat sin. He came to expel and defeat death. He came to expel and defeat the devil once and for all through his death and suffering on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. But the guys didn't get it. I mean, how could suffering lead to glory and how could death lead to life? And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to give them a glimpse He wants to give them a glimpse of the glory to come in an effort to reassure them and instill confidence in his sovereignty, sovereignty, especially in light of the fact that they're going to spend three very dark days without him. So Jesus is going to give these guys the ultimate mountaintop experience. So they follow Jesus up this high mountain, and no doubt it's Mount Hermon there in northern Israel. And I believe it's Mount Hermon because this is a high mountain. It's 9,000 feet of elevation, so it definitely qualifies. And at the base of Mount Hermon is the town Caesarea Philippi, where the apostle Peter made his confession just a week prior to that. So it's here, Mount Hermon, at the top of Mount Hermon, where these guys are gonna learn three all-important lessons, lessons that you and I would do well to major in ourselves. And the first lesson is this, that there's so much more to Jesus than you or I could ever imagine. There's so much more to Jesus than you or I could ever imagine. So the guys had just finished this challenging hike and and perhaps by the time they get up there, it's evening and so uh, they're sleepy and they just began a long prayer meeting that's going on and on and on. And so the guys begin to doze. Now, according to Pastor Adam, this is not an unusual occurrence to to find people sleeping in prayer meetings. Matter of fact, he told me that he busted someone recently sleeping at our morning prayer time here at the church. He said, right over there, right over on that side of the sanctuary, somebody was laying down and he saw their feet dangling at the end of the chairs. And then he heard that loud breathing, you know, like... Not quite a snore, but almost there. So he wanted to go over and take a peek just to see who it was. And he peeked over the top of the chairs and guess who it was? It was me. (laughs) So I have a lot of compassion for these guys. (laughs) 
falling asleep in prayer meetings. But know this, I assured Adam, I assured Adam this, that I was not sleeping. I was resting in the presence of our Lord. <laughs> so the guys were sleeping, but they're gonna wake up to the greatest surprise in human history, and that's this. Jesus is transfigured before, before them. The word transfigured, it means the same as our word metamorphosis. It's a, it's a change on the outside that comes from within. And we use this word to describe the process by which a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly. So that hairy little worm goes into its cocoon and from within the cocoon out emerges this beautiful creature that we all stand in awe and wonder of. So Jesus is transfigured. His face is changed. And Matthew chapter 17 tells us that his face was shining like the brightness of the sun. You remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai? He went up there to get the law. He went up there to meet with God. And he came down from the mountain and his face was glowing with this glory. His face was shining because he saw the glory of God and now he was reflecting it. But Jesus wasn't reflecting the glory of God. It was coming from within him. It was coming out of him. So his face is shining like the brightness of the sun. And then the Bible tells us that his clothes, they, they became bright. They looked like a flash of lightning. And, and Mark's gospel gives us another detail, says that his clothes were whiter than anyone can bleach them on the entire earth. That's pretty cool. So Jesus, he was turned inside out and the guys saw for the first time what was hidden behind the veil. They saw for the first time what was hidden behind that Jewish man's face. Behind those big brown eyes, it was the beauty, the holiness, and the majesty, and the glory of Almighty God. You see, Jesus was showing these guys that there was so much more to him that they could ever imagine. You see, Jesus wasn't just some ordinary guy, just some ordinary teacher. Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. It just means the personal union of Christ's two natures. He has a divine nature and a human nature. God who is eternal and who is a spirit 2,000 years ago stepped into the womb of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, and clothed himself in a human body, taking upon himself a human nature, and he was birthed into this world as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, David Guzik, he comments on this. He says, uh, the wonder of this story isn't that Jesus showed his glory. It's that he was ever able to conceal it in the first place. <laughs> I mean, think about who God is. Think about who Jesus is. He's Genesis chapter one. Jesus is responsible for that speaking the universe into existence, working with the Father, working with the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, everything we see and know, all of the galaxies, Jesus is responsible for that. The sun that rises every day and lights our entire planet, Jesus is responsible for that. The stars and the moon that light up our sky at night, Jesus is responsible for that. The seven billion people that are alive today and all those who have ever lived, Jesus responsible. 
Each and every single one of us unique individuals, no two of us alike. Jesus, he's the one who is responsible for that. Revelation talks about how there's no sun in heaven. There's no need for any light because the light of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus Christ lights up heaven. And yet he's able to conceal all that. He's able to hide all of that during his time on earth. That is absolutely mind-blowing. You remember when the apostle Peter went fishing with the guys and they were fishing all night long and they didn't catch anything and they come back and they're all frustrated. And Jesus says, hey, just throw your net on the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, come on. We're fishing all night. We're professionals. You're just a teacher. You're just a rabbi. We don't catch fish during the day. But whatever, I'll go for it, see what happens, can't hurt. And so he tosses his net on the other side of the boat and brings in the biggest haul they ever had. You see, he learned something about Jesus, that there's so much more to him than he could ever imagine. There were things about Jesus that he hadn't yet discovered. I like this story in John chapter two of Jesus being at the wedding and they had run, they had run out of wine and so Jesus was asked, can you make some wine by his mother? And so Jesus told the servants what to do. They, the servants thought that Jesus was just an ordinary guy, just another guest at the party. But boy, were they going to discover something, that there was so much more to him that they could ever imagine, especially when they took that water in the pitcher and poured it out and right in front of them watched it become wine. You see, there, are, there is so much more to Jesus than you could ever imagine. Over the past year, I took up this new hobby, an extracurricular activity called Frisbee golf. Now this is a simple game, so I thought. The re one of the reasons that I like it is because it kind of mimics golf, except for the fact that I don't have to spend my entire paycheck to play it. <laughs> So the idea behind this sport is you just, you take the plastic and you throw it into the basket in the least amount of throws possible. Simple? Not really. There's so much more to this sport than I could ever imagine. For starters, it's not called Frisbee golf. It's called disc golf. Because you can't, you don't throw Frisbees. You're throwing a very hard, heavy piece of plastic. And you wouldn't want to play catch with this thing because it could take your head off. It'll break fingers. It's dangerous stuff. Not only that, these discs, uh, they have special discs. There's drivers. Drivers. A Frisbee, that's a driver. What are you talking about? They go 400 feet through the air, like the speed of light. There's mid-ranges. There's putters. A Frisbee that you putt? This is crazy. I mean, there's disc golf bags. It's a whole culture. It's a whole world. And I was just thinking about this. If there's so much more to this insignificant and uh, eternally a temporal hobby that I enjoy, if there's so much more to that than I could ever imagine, how much more is there to Jesus than I could ever imagine, who is the everlasting God, the one who created the universe, the one who created humanity, all of the things that I enjoy, like joy, peace, happiness, love, the human smile, all of those wonderful things. Jesus is the author of that. He's not just some dead rabbi, you know, that we, we read his old quotes in his book. 
You know, he's not some boring teacher that we just get together and we sing songs about. Jesus Christ is the ruling, reigning, righteous Lord of the universe. There's so much more to him than we could ever imagine. On Friday night here at our young adults church service, I caught a glimpse of one of the young adult guys just just caught up in the wonder of worshiping Jesus. He had his eyes closed and his hands were lifted up and his countenance was illuminated. And I could just see it, that he was connecting with Jesus. Not the idea of Jesus, but the same Jesus that we read about here in our text. The glorious Jesus whose face is shining like the sun and whose clothes look like a flash of lightning. It was incredible. He was connecting with the world maker and with the life shaker. And so I came up to him and I asked him, man, were you sensing the presence of God? Because you look like you were just in another world. He was like, yes, I was. And we talked about how overwhelming the presence of God can be. And we don't even see him. And yet we're blown away by him and by his presence. And then we got to talking about what it's going to be like when we actually do see him. If we're almost floored when we don't see him, we're definitely going down when we do see him. The Jesus that you read about here in your text, this is a glimpse of the coming kingdom and of the glory that is going to be seen in that kingdom. That's the Jesus you're going to be worshiping. Revelation chapter 1 adds that his eyes look like a flame of fire burning with passion and love for each and every single one of you. That's the God we're worshiping today. That's the God that we're talking about today. So don't lose the wonder and the awe for Jesus just because you can't see him. You see, the world is vying for all of your attention and it's really easy to lose sight of him. It's really easy to forget how glorious he is, especially when that glory is hidden from us. We kind of have to be like miners searching after treasure. Jesus is our treasure. The more we dig, the more we're gonna find. The more we search, the more we're going to discover. The unveiling of the excellencies of Jesus can never, ever be exhausted. It doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus, 50 years, 60 years, 100 years. I don't know if anyone in here is 100, but (laughs) there's so much more to him. He's eternal. There are things about Jesus that you haven't yet discovered. Pursue your savior. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. So the first lesson that they learn is that there's so much more to Jesus than you and I could ever imagine. And the second lesson that they learn is that there is life and glory beyond the grave. You see, Moses and Elijah appeared there on the mountain with Jesus. Now, Moses lived uh, 1400 B.C., Elijah lived 850 BC, and yet here they are alive, and they don't even look their age. (laughs) That's absolutely incredible to me. Matter of fact, they looked really good. The Bible says that they appeared in glorious splendor. The red carpet has nothing on these guys. They appeared in glorious splendor. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there is life and glory beyond the grave for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 32, Jesus responds to a group of men who didn't believe in the afterlife. And he quotes an Old Testament scripture. 
God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus then gives the interpretation saying, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You see, Abraham and his family, they lived around the time 2000 BC. And yet Jesus is saying, through his interpretation of that Old Testament scripture, that Abraham and his family are still alive. So Abraham's still alive, Isaac's still alive, Jacob's still alive, Moses is still alive, Elijah is still alive, and a matter of fact, all of those who have died in faith, they are still alive. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Meaning all of those who have died in faith, trusting the Lord, the moment that their hearts stopped beating and their spirit left their body, they went to be with God and they are alive and well today. Now this brings great confidence to me and it should bring great confidence to you, knowing your destiny, knowing your fate, that no matter what happens, you're heaven bound that no matter what happens, you are glory bound because there is life and glory beyond the grave. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse one talks about how the life, this life and this body that we live in, it's a tent. Your body is like a tent. A tent is not a place you live in forever. You go camping, you take your tent, you stay in it for a couple days if you can make it that long. <laughs> You don't move your kitchen in there. You don't put a bathroom in your tent. It's a temporary dwelling. It's not gonna last forever. It's gonna, it's gonna wear out. It's gonna break down and you're gonna have to throw it away. People live in houses for the most part. And so the Bible uses that analogy to describe our life. Our lives are temporary. Our bodies are gonna get old. They're gonna get sick and eventually we're gonna die. But that's not the end. We're gonna be moving into our eternal house in the heavens. There's life and glory beyond the grave. Now this truth, it brings a great comfort to me because I'm gonna see the people who've already passed, the people that I miss dearly. I think about my great-grandmother, my little nonna, that's what we call her, from Sicily, an Italian gal. So sweet, I'm here because of her. You see, years and years ago, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And then she ended up leading her daughter to Christ, my grandmother, who 11 years ago led me to Jesus, if you're able to follow that story. And so because, yeah, that's awesome, clap. So because of her, I'm here. My family and I, we used to love to go to her house. She lived in Daly City, about an hour drive from here. And when my kids were little, my middle child, he, would, he was a baby, and he would scream the entire drive. I mean, the kind of scream that gets down into your bones and drives you crazy. But it was worth it to go to little Nana's house. Her house was so wonderful. You just, she had that really white hair, just, just a, oh my goodness, it was incredible. The white hair, the sweetest personality. She had a little chuckle about her. Her house felt like, I felt like I should live at her house. Her house felt more like home than my own house did. The kind of place where you'd go in and you'd kick off your shoes and you put your feet up on the table. You go into the kitchen and you feel like it's your kitchen, like you could just whip up something to eat right now, no questions asked. That's my little Nana's house. There's gonna be a great reunion in heaven. I'm gonna see her. I'm gonna have fellowship with her and I'm gonna recognize her. 
We're gonna be able to recognize each other in heaven. Moses and Elijah, the guys, the disciples, they recognized them. They had never seen Moses and Elijah before. I mean, this is 800, 1400 years before this time. And yet they were able to recognize Moses and Elijah. So we will recognize one another. So it's a great comfort to know that I'm gonna see the people that have already passed, people that I miss. Also a great comfort because I'm gonna see the people that I never got to meet, like the Apostle Paul. I'm pretty sure we would have been best friends if he was around today. <laughs> to hear his stories, the stories of Philip the Evangelist, love that guy. How about D.L. Moody, the founder of my Bible college? Looking forward to hearing his stories. He had a great children's ministry. Uh, but more importantly to me, I'm gonna be able to meet my mom, my biological mother who I never met. She died when I was six months old of hepatitis. My grandmother tells me that she gave her life to Jesus just a few months before she died. And so I know she's in glory and there's coming a day when I'm gonna meet her for the first time and it's gonna be glorious. Before I was a Christian, I wasn't walking with the Lord, obviously, and I had a girlfriend, and uh, we were making a lot of bad choices, lots of bad choices, a lifestyle of drugs and things of that nature, and she became, uh, she became with child, and we continued to make those bad choices, and because of those choices, that child was never born. You know, Jesus said something about kids. He's in, in referencing children. He said, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And so I know where that child is. That child is with Jesus. That child is in heaven. And all children who never made it into this world for whatever reason, they're with the Lord. And so there's gonna be this glorious time where I'm gonna be able to meet that kid and I'm looking forward to it. So this truth is a great confidence to me. It's a great comfort to me. And it's also a great motivator to me to wanna to share the gospel. I don't want people in my life to miss out. I don't want them to miss out on heaven. I don't want people to miss out on life and glory beyond the grave. I don't want people to miss out on the forgiveness of sins being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the one who transforms us and gives us a desire for God. And so this truth inspires me to tell them about Jesus to tell them what he offers freely through faith in his name. Now, every time I sense the presence of Jesus Christ, uh, his warm touch or his gentle voice speaking to my heart, it's a reminder to me that there's life and glory beyond the grave because Jesus went to the grave and yet he still lives. And because Jesus lives, we will live too. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I have a question for you. Would you like to go to heaven when you die? Would you like to have life and glory beyond the grave? Would you like to have the free gift of forgiveness of sins, eternal life, a relationship with the God who loves you, the God who made you, the God who puts you on this planet? Would you like to discover your true purpose? Well, Jesus Christ offers all of that to you freely. He loves you. And he says, if you will just believe in me, if you will just trust in me, then all of that is yours. I made that decision 11 years ago simply by praying to Jesus and asking him to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior. And guess what I discovered? Everything he promised is true. 
And so I would encourage you to give your life to Jesus today. Now Moses, he died, yet he's alive. And his appearance here speaks of all of those who have and who will die before the coming of the Lord. Just like Moses, they too will be raised from the dead. And then Elijah's here as well. And his appearance, uh, it represents all of those who will not taste of death before the coming of the Lord. You see, Elijah was raptured, 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 11. He was caught up without experiencing death to heaven in a chariot of fire. And so he represents perhaps even us who will not have to taste of death, but like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So glorious. Now, our text says that uh, the guys were talking with Jesus. And it tells us that they were talking with Jesus about his departure. He wasn't getting on a plane and going somewhere, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> talking about his departure from this world through the cross, through his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Now, what I thought was a really cool insight that one of the commentators shared with me was Moses. He was called the lawgiver because he delivered the law from God to the people. And so he represents the law. And then you have Elijah, the greatest prophet in the minds of the people. And so he represents all of the prophets. So we have the law and we have the prophets. And that's another name for the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And so what are the law and the prophets talking about? What are the law and the prophets pointing to? What is the focus of the law and the prophets? What is the focus of the Old Testament? It's the cross. It's Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is pointing us to the cross. It's pointing us to Jesus. So the Old Testament is all about the cross, pointing us to the cross. The saints of old are pointing us to the cross. What about the saints in heaven, the saints of the future? What is their focus? What are they talking about? Revelation chapter five tells us. Standing in the center of the throne was a lamb, standing as though it had been slain. And all of heaven, all of the host of heaven breaks out in worship and praise and adoration of this lamb. John the Baptist, he gives us the identity of the lamb. He points to Jesus and he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Old Testament, focusing on the cross and Jesus Christ. The saints of old focusing on the cross and Jesus Christ. The saints in heaven, the saints of the future are focusing on the cross and Jesus Christ. What do you think should be the focus of the saints of today? It should be the cross. It should be Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So lessons from the mountaintop. First, there's so much more to Jesus than you and I could ever imagine. Two, there's life and glory beyond the grave. And finally, the final lesson from the mountaintop is that we should just be a people who listens to Jesus. Now, Peter wanted to stay on the mountain and you can't blame the guy. I mean, it was the ultimate mountaintop experience. 
And so he blurts out, Lord, can we put up three tents? I want to stay here. I want to stay in this place. The ultimate mountaintop experience, seeing the glory of Jesus. And that's really what a mountaintop experience is. It's when you see Jesus clear, you connect with him better, and you feel closer to him than you ever have before. And so Peter wants to stay put. I remember my ultimate mountaintop experience happened 11 years ago, right after I gave my life to Jesus at Coastside Community Church there in Pacifica, California. It was at the end of the church service. It was a, we were standing for a song of praise and worship to the Lord. And I saw somebody standing there with their eyes closed and their hands like this. And I was a brand new believer. And I was just wondering what they were doing. And I was trying to figure it out. And I thought, oh, maybe they must have something to do with singing praise to God. And so I thought, well, I'm going to try that. <laughs> and so I closed my eyes and I did this with my hands. And then I had some sort of vision, some sort of experience where I saw the Lord come down. And he looked at me. And then he began to breathe out of his mouth, blow his breath out of his mouth. And I could see his breath like you could see it on a cold winter morning. And it went into a dark shadow. The next thing I knew, the pastor was ending the service and inviting people to come up for prayer. I came up and someone prayed for me, but I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay in that moment because it was the ultimate mountaintop experience. But ladies and gentlemen, we all come down from the mountain eventually. And so the guys are going to come down to pain and suffering. I mean, they're going to come down and a dad is going to have his son demon-possessed. They're going to come down to temptation and sin and to the realities of living in a broken and fallen world. They're not going to be having these mountaintop experiences each and every single day of their life. And so God wants to give them something for today. He wants to give them something for everyday life, something they can trust in, something they can depend on. Because experiences, we lose those experiences. We forget about how wonderful they were. They lose their, their wonder. And so we need something for everyday life. We need something for today. And so God says, listen to Jesus. I want you to obey Jesus. This is the best counsel that I can give for any situation in life and day-to-day -day living because we don't live on the mountaintop and we don't see the glory of Jesus like those guys saw it. We're not going to hike up to the top of Mount Taylor and see Jesus up there shining like the bright... Well, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> we live in the valley. We live in a world with pain and suffering, with temptation and sin a world filled with chaos and broken people living in darkness, deceived by the devil. That's the world that we live in. Just the other day, Pastor Nathan, you guys remember Pastor Nathan? <laughs> Wonderful man. Pastor Nathan and I were out disc golfing. <laughs> uh, he won. He's really good. Um, we're out disc golfing, and I noticed in the parking lot, we're at a regional park, a guy staring at us from the parking lot. I was looking at him. I was like, what are, you, what are you looking at? And I thought, well, maybe he thinks, you know, we're some of his buddies that he's going to meet out here because he was looking real intently at us. He had a bandana on and some sunglasses and a leather vest, you know, and he looked like a biker guy. And I was like, okay, I'm just not going to look at this guy. And then, 
And then the car door opens and he peeks out and stares at me. And I'm like, oh man. And he, then I heard him swear a couple times at me. And I was like, oh boy, this guy's crazy. And so I, I told Pastor Nathan, don't look at that guy. He's crazy. He wants to start a fight with us. And he gets out of his car and he starts walking around the parking lot. And so we're kind of going, we're kind of walking away from him. And there's other people out there getting ready to go on a hike. And he starts doing this in the parking lot. He didn't have a gun, but he had a, you know, a pretend gun in his hand doing this. And I thought, oh my goodness, this guy, this guy is lost and he is dangerous. So the police were called. And about 15 minutes later, we, had, we were away from the guy now. Uh, we saw a squad car driving up the hill. And we're like, all right, great. And then a couple minutes after that, we saw another squad car, but it wasn't just driving, it was flying up the hill. And I thought, wow, I'm really glad that the cops got called on this guy. A couple minutes after that, we hear all these sirens. Woo, 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 woo. And then the guy, the biker dude, goes flying by us in his vehicle with two cop cars in full pursuit. The cop is yelling through his microphone, shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> Crazy. That's the world that we live in, a broken world, a world that is lost, filled with broken people, deceived by the devil, deceived by sin, without hope and without Christ in the world. That's the world, that's the reality. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. And our only hope in this life, if we want to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, if we want to live a life that really matters, our only hope is to live for Jesus and to listen to Jesus. To listen to Jesus means to obey his word. In other words, we need to be a people of the book. We need to be a people of the word of God. Being in the word of on a daily basis, listening to the voice of our Savior speak to us through his holy Bible. You know what's cool about a person who gets into the word? They're transfigured just like Jesus was. Because when you start to get into the word, the word starts to get into you. It starts to transform your mind. Romans chapter 12, it tra transforms the way you think. And as it transforms the way you think and your worldview, it transforms the way you live. And so you're transformed from the inside out. You're transfigured and you become like Jesus. You become more and more like him. From glory to greater glory. The transfiguration of the born again Christian comes through listening to Jesus Christ. Well, I'd like to end our service today by doing just that by listening to Jesus, by obeying Jesus, obeying Jesus. And one of the things he commanded us to do was to remember his death, was to remember what he did for us on the cross. And so at this time, I'm gonna invite the worship team on up. You know, Jesus told us to think about what he did for us on the cross like a meal, as Pastor Ross always explains it. As you take in bread and drink, and it gives life to your physical body, so too, if you take into your heart and into your soul what Jesus did for you on the cross, it gives you eternal life. It gives you spiritual life. And so we're going to remember that. We're going to reflect on what our Savior did for us. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Now as we remember what your son Jesus did for us on the cross, as we obey his voice like you commanded us to do, we pray that you would transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.